Welcome back to Cloud Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hello. Megan, I love when we do chocolate shows. I know. I know. What is it about us and food? <laughs> food and cause marketing. It just goes together. It does. Like, like chocolate and peanut butter. Mm, good analogy. Hey, on the line with us today is Sean Askinosi. And he is founder and CEO of Eskinozzi Chocolates and the author of the new book, Meaningful Work, A Quest to Do Great Business, Find Your Calling and Feed Your Soul. Hey, Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Sean, you have been named by Oprah as one of the top 15 people changing the world. How'd you get on that list? <laughs> I we I mean, paid, you're obviously we, doing incredible things, but come on, you know Oprah. We, you can pay $100,000 and be on that list. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. No, I joking, don't know, joking, I don't know yeah, how yeah. that <laughs> Maybe she had your chocolate. It <laughs> could be. Please. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. That's an incredible feat, though. Congratulations on that. I mean, your background, and I really encourage people uh, to visit your site, too, and check out the, you know, the, the About You page on your book, too, because it just has some fascinating information about you. And, you know, what's interesting, I thought, too, is you started off as a criminal defense lawyer. Is that correct? That's right. 20 years. And then you moved to another guilty pleasure, making hmm. chocolate. That's yeah, right. pretty good, huh? That is. That's how very good. You, you can expect a lot of that on this show. A lot of clever remarks. Well, although right I now. have to say, I never really heard the word guilty from a jury, so. Oh, good <laughs> comeback. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So it's it's good to know. It's, always, say, no, yeah. it's always good to know a good lawyer, right? Maybe but how did you make I'm that transition? Pleasure. Uh, that's right. I like that. Yeah, yeah, not uh, guilty pleasure. Yeah, that's right. The the transition for me took about five years, and and I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to this, but I, I loved my job for a long time. I loved everything about it, and then I stopped loving it, and I could kind of feel it in my body physically and emotionally that I needed to change, but I just I didn't, I, I didn't have any other hobbies or skills or anything besides the courtroom, and so I started this, this really this search, and some, some days were more desperate than others, but it took five years of looking around of what is my passion, what's my inspiration, and I just needed that. I couldn't just do another area of law. I, you know, I couldn't do civil law or, or corporate law or anything like that. And so this search, this five-year search, um, landed me with a new hobby of grilling outdoors on my big green egg and then making uh, baking, making pies and cupcakes and, and then chocolate desserts. And finally, uh, one day, I was driving to a funeral, and this idea came to me of, Hey, what about making chocolate from scratch? Having no idea it came from a bean, no idea where it was grown. <laughs> and just then three months later, I ended up in the Amazon. And that's how I started. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So you were you were dabbling with other things like baking first. Like you thought maybe something with my hands and making food that, that kind yes. of drew you, but you didn't yes. quite 
get to the chocolate right away. I did not. And I had this this very simple prayer I said every day, sometimes multiple times a day, that went like this. Dear God, please give me something else to do. And, <laughs> and sometimes I could even do it while I was breathing because I just – I so wanted out. And, yeah. and, 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 and what, I, what I found is the more desperate I became, the sort of further away it was from my reach. You know, it's interesting. What is it about chocolate too, Sean? Like, and I'm trying to remember, Megan, but I think we've had other people on the show before that have talked about chocolate. Tony's Chocolate Lonely. That's right. And and, and that was another one. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Sean, but it's like a reporter that actually started his own line of chocolates and stuff like that. But he was the same way. He just kind of got into it new. And what is it about chocolate that, you know, it's somewhat attractive to newbies like that? Uh, You know, maybe it's one of those things that we can understand if we go to the Amazon and really look at how it's made and such. I think there's there's a there's a real mystery to chocolate. That's one thing, and it's um, it's so complex, and in that way, it's sort of like wine. But there are so many different flavors, even just from a cocoa bean. And I think that's one of the things that draws people. The other, at least for me, is that I knew if I went into the chocolate business that I would never master it. That I, that I wouldn't have enough years left in my life to really figure it all out. It's really technically challenging, and I knew that it would also give me a chance to travel around the world and live out my vocation. How long would you say it took you to get up to speed? You said you didn't even know the chocolate came from a bean, which I didn't know probably five years ago either. But how long did that process take once you were like, okay, I'm going to do chocolate and I'm going to go to the Amazon? The The process took, I would say, a couple of years of just, you know, figuring things out and what to buy. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, I made many mistakes in along the way in buying equipment, the wrong equipment. And luckily, I had a savings account that I could kind of uh, slowly deplete. But it probably took me a couple of years. And in some ways, it took maybe five years before I really felt like we knew what we were doing. And the thing is, and I think this is one of the things I love about it is that I still haven't figured it out. I've been doing this 11 years. Mm. And what's one of the things I love about it? And that's what that's in many ways, I think sort of a character trait of entrepreneurs, which is that we're always ready for the next challenge, not in a pessimistic sense of, wow, what storm cloud is hovering nearby. But we know that some like, for instance, right now, I know that there's that something is going to go wrong in my chocolate factory, uh, you know, 10 or 15 feet away from me uh, in the next week or two. And it'll be fun to kind of figure out the solution and how to get it working again. Is that always fun though, Sean? <laughs> um, n- no. Yeah, yeah. It, well, I should say it is in kind of a sick way. Um, yeah, right. Um, yeah. You know, that, that, um, that I, I think people can relate to, you know, and it's, it's, if you're built that way to kind of solve and, you know, look, I face this in the courtroom all the time. I mean, I, I spent a lifetime defending people that everyone thought was guilty and, except me. And, and so I sort of thrived in that venue of challenge and trouble. And uh, I still, I, I st- you know, I, I still like it. Mm. So, so you, you were like one of the only people in the country that makes chocolate from the bean to the end yeah. product. Aren't there only like nine people in the country that's doing that? When I started, there were really two or three of us. This is around 2006. There were two or three of us in the country starting at the same time. Now there's probably 200 um, oh, really? The barrier to entry is basically zero. Um, and so you can make it in your kitchen and sell it at the farmer's market where you live. And 
you are a bean to bar chocolate maker. So, you know, the competition, you know, this is much like we find in coffee or beer for beer is a great example. I mean, when I started making chocolate, there were about 1500 brewers in the United States, microbrewers. Now there's over 5,000. Um, right. So, I mean, it's happening and it, it's kind of cool to watch. So why was that important to you then to be one of the people that was doing it from the bean? Just because so you could have control over every step of the process? So I could have control over the ultimate um, end quality and also so I could travel to these countries. Right now I'm sourcing beans in Ecuador, Tanzania, Amazon, and the Philippines. And this summer uh, in July when I, when I take uh, some local high school kids to Tanzania, which we do as part of our chocolate university program, that will be my 40th origin trip. So I go every wow. year to these wow. places, and I love it because, well, it takes me over 50 hours to get where I'm going in Tanzania, over 40 in the Philippines, and I fly coach, unfortunately, because I can't afford the other stuff, And um, but I, I love it, and it's it's fun to get there, and it's exciting because you know, I'm inspecting the crop of beans. We profit share with the farmers. We open our books to them. And so like when I'm in Tanzania, we've translated our books into Swahili so the farmers can understand the profit share calculation that we make for them. So that's why I do it. I mean, I, I love I love the the part of interacting with the very first phase in the production process, which is harvesting these great cocoa beans that will eventually make their way into a chocolate bar. And uh, I love that to be able to control, as you say, the quality, but to also just experience it. I mean, it's just, it gives me joy to do this. So with the transparency, one of the things you're known for too, is that concept of a stake in the outcome with your employees and your suppliers. Could you explain that? Sure. Open book management is essentially what that is. And I practiced that as a lawyer in my law firm. And so it wasn't new to me to bring to my chocolate factory. And essentially what that means is in, in financial transparency terms, we open our books um, and we show the numbers, we teach what they mean, and then we share in the outcome. And so we're essentially teaching financial literacy all along the way, and people can see that. And my idea was, what if we take this upstream one notch to the farmers and open our books to them, um, and mm -hmm. that's what we do. And we, we've literally been doing this since we started. So for 11 years, we've been transparent with these farmers all over the world. And just this past year, and this was a huge project, we released and published on our website the price that we've paid for every single crop of beans for the last 11 years, who we paid, how much we paid them, how much we profit shared, what that price was compared to the farm gate price, and world market price and fair trade price. And it's all there for people to see, um, which we felt like was an important step uh, in doing what we say we're doing and showing that information to our customers or anybody else who wanted to look, to look at it. And so we believe that that practice of open book management, sharing with farmers, is um, it's part of who we are as a company. And that behavior mm -hmm. really ends up in the chocolate bar. So the resulting product, yeah. uh, I think, um, speaks to that. Well, and you are paying a premium on the front end, and then you're sharing in the profits on the back end, correct? Yes, and not only that, but we also provide um, front end financing. So I'm paying for these cocoa beans months in advance. So the farmers have capital to harvest their crops and and uh, bring those crops in and, and um, get the amount and the quantity that we need by the time we need it. 
Amazing. And then the other thing that you do that I thought was super cool is called a product of change. So can you explain to our listeners what that is? Well, thanks for asking about that. This is what I want to say is we are a 16 person company. So we are small. We don't want to be a huge company. And a product of change works like this. We have Chocolate University affiliate schools in the Philippines and in Tanzania. And what this means, this product of change, let's take Tanzania, for example, the, the kids at this school near where we buy beans were all malnourished about 1,000 kids eating one meal a day total. And so we needed to do something about it. And the PTA in this little jungle school makes rice. We bought the rice, put it on our container. It was in one kilogram packages. We sold each one kilogram, so 2.2 pounds, for $16.50. So if you bought it online, that $16.50 that you paid me, I sent you the rice. You would love it because it's awesome rice. That feeds 220 meals. So... We do the same thing in the Philippines with this hot chocolate product that we sell online in our store called Tablia. And if you buy that for 10 bucks, it's 150 meals. So what that means is we're pushing this money, not just the profit, but the entire sales proceeds back to the schools monthly. And we monitor the height, weight, and school attendance of the students. We've been doing this for almost eight years now in both of these countries. And we've our little company is feeding 1,000 kids a day sustainably with no donations, and we're, we're, we've surpassed the million uh, meal mark that we're doing for these schools. That is schools. amazing. Wow. That is amazing. Wow. And it's it's such an interesting concept that I don't... Joe, have you heard of this concept before where they're, you're using your containers to bring their product essentially to market and you're selling it for yep. them, not taking a cut and just pushing it all back? Right. It's fascinating. That's what we do. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, Sean, one of the things I'm curious too is like, did you model your company off another company that practiced a lot of these things or have you just innovated a lot of these things as you've moved along? I think a little bit of both. And for instance... Um, I really followed Intelligentsia Coffee based in Chicago on my direct trade practices. Jeff Watts is really the pioneer of direct trade coffee from Intelligentsia. Mm -hmm. And he was someone who was kind to me and was willing to answer my questions about this when I started and is still a friend today. And so we modeled a lot of those practices after Intelligentsia Coffee. And then, of course, there are a number of um, companies that practice open book management around the country that we um, – picked from and Zingerman's Deli is a great example and Ari Weinzweig the co-founder of Zingerman's Deli is a mentor of mine and and has practiced open book management for years and there are many of the practices that we use for example when we practice uh, something called visioning with our farmers to give the farmer cooperative a uh, 10-year plan in which they can really think in the future and these are farmers who aren't used to thinking 10 weeks ahead but all of that came from Ari and Zingerman's so there are many companies that we've um, that we've adopted their practices and, and hopefully tweak them to make them a little bit better for our application. So, Sean, you've written an entire book about your journey, which is a fantastic book because it's part story and part instruction manual, I felt like when I looked at it. Why did you feel compelled to write this book? I People over the years have said you should write a book, and I think most people have a book in them. Um, but I I really resisted it for a long time. I, I didn't really think that I had anything to say, but um, a couple of things happened that made it possible for me to um, really be inspired to write this book. And one of the things was to not just tell the Sean Askinosi story, because, I mean, maybe a few paragraphs of that would be interesting. But what I wanted to do was tell a story in a way that other people could see themselves. 
And that's actually mm-hmm. more challenging and that's not that easy to do. And so what I wanted to do with this book is, is my hope is that people will see it. They'll, they'll find something, maybe a sentence or a paragraph that inspires them. They'll put the book down and they'll start doing it. That's my measure of success in this book is, is I put my email in it and I hope people will tell me, you know, hey, thanks for this particular thing. It inspired me to change this. So I'm looking for people who say this changed my interior life, my inner life in this way, or my external life. And here are some actions that I've taken. And that's that's why I wrote the book. And uh, it wasn't easy. It was three years long and because um, I was running a chocolate factory at the same time and traveling all over the world. But I'm really grateful for the opportunity to kind of just be a participant in this process, but also have the chance to tell the story. How did you uh, how'd you get the Seth, Seth Godin testimonial? Uh, you know, he's picky on what he endorses, so he must really like this well, book. Well, Seth, first off, liked our chocolate. And he's, you know, been a fan <laughs> of our chocolate for years, and I'd never spoken with him. Seth gave me his cell number, and he said, call me. And I was so nervous because I was afraid, you know, I didn't want to talk yeah. to him because I would ruin it. You know, I'd say something stupid and then he'd never <laughs> buy our chocolate again. And uh, but he was so kind about our chocolate and about our business model. And he was really um, inviting me to ask him for help. And he really helped not only with, you know, a quote on the book, which I'm grateful for, but mm. he really helped yeah. with reviewing things in the book and helping me sort of articulate my thought process along the way big a big wow big help that's to fantastic yeah. well and he's he's kind of a what is he he's got a uh, like a coffee practice right like he's an aficionado when it comes to making the perfect cup of coffee i think isn't that his thing like it's kind of a similar craft well, he makes chocolate too hobby yes for him. he also yeah, oh, yeah, he? yeah yes he does yes oh, i don't think I yeah, knew that. yeah no he's he is he is an aficionado of many things and he's a great He's a great chef himself. He really understands food. And uh, well, and the thing is, here's the deal. He is a very kind person. He that that that's and and if you read his blog and he has a new podcast, if you listen to him or just read his writing, he just sort of I think um, that it comes off. You know, his his advice and his writing comes off as kind, and I think that's needed in this yeah. world. Well, you know what it is too. Like I think. Seth is good at spotting great things, and that doesn't surprise me that he found you. And and he's such a clear thinker, and that must have been really helpful with your oh, book. Oh, yeah, because he, he, he strips away the stuff that you don't need, and uh, that can be painful uh, at times. But so you're right. You're exactly right. He, he, I would say he's a minimalist in that sense, and, um, uh, and I, I love that because it's exactly what I need because I'm – I tend not to be a minimalist. I aspire to that, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know when I see a book, Sean, and it's recommended by Seth Godin, I mean, that says a lot about a book. So congratulations on that. I mean, so now you have Seth Godin writing you testimonials. You have Oprah. Uh, I mean, you you could end up Oprah's vice president. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, what I don't know. You probably didn't think no, of that. No, I did didn't. You? I haven't. You know I mean, of that. like, I mean, you would be a great one too. Well, does she need one? I mean, maybe wouldn't it be? She wouldn't may. It be, um, she may. Um, Gail? No, maybe not. 
Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> you'll be the yeah, new exactly. Gale. Yeah, you'll be the new um, Gale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we've never talked. Awesome. Maybe, maybe Secretary of State, okay? <laughs> Don't, we, we shouldn't even go there. Oh, you're talking when she's <laughs> yeah, president. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm see. talking was, when she's man, president. Secretary of State, I absolutely. I, 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 yeah, yeah that's right. Bring, bring chocolate to the world. That's right. Bring some kindness to the world. That's what we need. Seriously. Well, it's true. Yeah. Sean, you talk... You talk a lot in your book about finding your vocation and both personally and for your company, which some people I think call their purpose. So what are the suggestions that you give there, both on a personal and a professional level? The suggestion that I have and, and what I what I like to talk to entrepreneurs about or even entrepreneurs at heart is where where has your heart been broken? Where is the sorrow in your life? And if you haven't had sorrow, then we have more to talk about. Um, and, and, and the reason I go there is because my great sorrow was my dad's death when I was 14. He died of lung cancer, my hero. He was a lawyer. And so I needed eventually at some point in my life to have a conversation with that sorrow and to, and to do something about it. And so I, I say, where has your heart broken? And let's talk about that. And uh, to sort of bring in the philosopher Khalil Gibran that I quote in the book, it, which and he says our greatest joy is our sorrow unmasked and that is i have found that to be true in my life i found that to be true in my search for my new vocation from law to chocolate and so those the the, the suggestion and it sounds sort of counterintuitive and a little touchy feely but it really is true if you want meaning in your life and you want meaning in your work um one of one not the only but one of the ways is to explore the sorrow in your life and how you can turn that into service to someone else. And then paradoxically, that service will lead to a newfound um, journey and path. Gandhi said the same thing. I didn't make this up. You know, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. And it's true. It is true. Another concept in the book is the reverse scale. Could you tell us about that and why it's important to your personal approach? Sure. One of the things that my daughter coined this phrase in the book, which is one of our vocations is not necessarily getting bigger, but getting better at staying small. And we really have to practice that. Why? Because the temptation in our culture is to grow, 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 scale at all costs. Why? Because investors want us to scale. Um, chambers of com commerce want us to scale because it'll mean jobs for the community. Our family wants us to scale because it means we'll be rich, uh, supposedly. And so there's this real cultural business pressure to scale. And I say, well, wait, wait just a minute. Let's take a deep breath. Why are we doing this? What are we going to get from it? And what I say is we risk losing human connection when we scale. And often the human connection is the thing that brought us to this business or this, this life in the first place. And we really risk losing that when all we're thinking about is finding somebody else to do the thing that we once did or writing checks or managing and supervising and delegating. And so I say that this reverse scale idea is, well, what if this idea and this project only impacts the people on your street or in your neighborhood or in your little segment of your industry or just you? It's still valuable because the culture says that if, it, if your idea is not immediately scalable, then it doesn't have value. And I'm pushing against that and saying, that's not true. That That's not true. And let's look at it from the, uh, let's flip that pyramid upside down and say, if it'll help one person, then it still potentially has value. And it also gives us a chance to stay connected to the thing that brought us to the business in the first place. 
Well, and I think, I mean, going along with that, Sean, so a, a couple of things. First of all, I totally agree with you. I think kind of keeping that personal connection is so important, and that's kind of what's missing in our world today. But the other piece of it is as you're getting better at being small and you learn lessons, it's also important to share those lessons so that... You know, maybe Joe wants to become an oil rig worker and he takes inspiration from your story and, you know, can use your story to kind of fuel his own passion and purpose and take some of the things that you've learned, which is, you know, probably what you've done in this book and by talking to us and other podcasters about your story. So kind of sharing the lessons that you've learned can help you scale in kind of a yes, different way. And to quote one of the, the Catholic theologians I quote in the book, Jean Vanier, he says, we want to be a sign, not a solution. So that speaks to your, what you just said, Megan. I mean, that, that's what, that's what we want to be in our business. That's part of what this book is about and talking to you guys that, that someone can say, Oh, there's, I see, I see that little light over there, the Askenosi chocolate little light that's shining. I can, I can do that. I can, I can apply that to my business or my work group, my team. And 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 then they can then carry that forward and make it better than we have. And you know what it is too. I think so much, Sean, is what you've done too. Is you're you're saying too. I mean, even at your size, like you, you know, people can make a difference with their business, and it doesn't need to be this huge business in order to do that. And in many instances, you know, these big businesses they lose themselves, right? And you know, and what their purpose was. And you know, I even think just this past week with Toys R Us closing, and you know, just how far away Toys R Us got from its original mission. And you know, one of the things that they said, you know, and what, how many times do we hear this about companies too, Sean and Megan? It grew too fast. It had too many stores. It didn't need, you know what I mean? And that's what really kind of happens. And it lost happens. the community piece, the it, connection Yeah, that yes. lost, you know, and I mean, hey, let's face it too, Toys R Us, someone's going to buy that brand and probably open a chain of stores and that, those chains, those small chains will probably serve the community better than that big chain was serving them. That's right. And I think you, I think this is a great point. It is really apropos to what's happening now because why did that, why did that happen at Toys R Us? It happened supposedly because of the pressure of private equity mm -hmm. and why, yep. why private mm -hmm. equity? It was to, it was in order to scale. It was in order to grow and there you have it. So I, and, and the, here's the other thing I want to say too, is that I'm not suggesting that scale is inherently bad. And of course it's necessary in the case of, you know, famine and, 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 but, but, but the, the thing that this is tied to the reason there's so much pressure is because of the way we culturally measure the health of our economy. I mean, we look at GDP. GDP is the be-all, end-all measuring stick for the success of the American economy, really for the, for the world economy. And what I hope that we can do at some point is sort of decouple our barometer, our measure of success as an, as an economy on GDP. And this, and this is directly connected to scale. And at some point, this, this is going to stop. I mean, we're going to run into a wall, which I think we're running into now. And so one of the chapters in my book is how much is enough? And I think even big companies like Toys R Us, you know, need to be asking along the way, how much is enough? And, and, and when you're only measuring, you know, top line growth or NOI or then, then we're, we may be looking at the, the wrong, um, metric. And, and we need to find some new ones in order to measure our success. It can't keep going like this. 
Sean, this has been so fascinating. Um, I would definitely encourage people. I'm going to ask you to give your website in just a minute, but there are some like tasty treats online. You guys need to go check them out. Sean, where can people find Askinosi online and find you online? Thank you for asking. Askinosi.com is where people can find out about our chocolate and about how we make it. And there's a little zip code thing there for people to see if it might be in their town. And um, and then, of course, uh, we're online and social media, Facebook and Twitter, um, Askinosi Chocolate. And then I blog at SeanAskinosi.com. Amazing. We will put all of that in the show notes. And I'm, I didn't know about the zip code finder. I'm going to be checking that out as soon as I get off the phone. <laughs> and Joe? and we make a peanut butter chocolate just to bring it all I back. There you go. I saw that. I saw that. I'm going to you have to, right? That's what you're getting for your birthday, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Joe, where can people find you online? Uh, people can find me online minute to minute uh, at Joe Waters on Twitter or visit me at selfishgiving.com. Make sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll really enjoy it. It comes out every Wednesday morning. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode and all of the other Cause Talk Radio episodes, engageforgood.com, as well as selfishgiving.com. And while you are online, please go over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this podcast so that you do not miss an episode. We're also on Google Play and Spotify, so if you need to find us there, please do. And on behalf of Sean and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.